Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us on how to navigate the hospital system and have an empowered birth. I am so thrilled to be here with Terry Richmond. It is so exciting for me. She's been my friend, my mentor, my doula for both my births, and I just want to give you guys a little bit of her background. So Terry is a labor support doula and a certified childbirth educator. For the last 14 years, she's been attending births and teaching childbirth education preparation classes with passion and joy. Hundreds of births and countless classes later, she feels strongly that new parents deserve unconditional support and encouragement no matter what their birth choices. Terry was the co-founder of Birthday Presence, helped to create a volunteer doula program at Bellevue Hospital Birth Center, served as co-director of the Metropolitan Doula Group, and served on the board of Choice in Childbirth. Terry, along with her doula partner, Catherine Stewart Lindley, is Labor of Love Doula Services. You can check that out at www.laborlove.org. Terry is particularly delighted to be the mother of her teenage son, Emery. Before she became a full-time doula, you could have found Terry singing and dancing on Broadway. And with just such incredible excitement, I have Terry here. And we're going to talk about, as mentioned, having an empowered birth. Now, as I read the bio of Terry, I realized how much influence she actually had on me as um, I'm also a childbirth educator. I basically followed Terry's footsteps, um, but I stopped. I don't do as much doula work. Um, the way she approaches now, she's been teaching at prenatal yoga center pretty much since we opened the doors, like mm-hmm. pretty, like right in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and the way she teaches her classes, you know, really supporting women unconditionally. I realize how much influence that has, not just on the, you know, the students in the studio, but the way I approach it. And I think that's really made a profound effect on why students come to prenatal yoga center for our classes and for your class, because, you know, we don't want to get on our bandstand and tell people how to birth. So I'm just so, so excited that, you know, we have Terry here. So given that a little bit, um, can you talk about your approach to childbirth ed and doula work? Because I know you do have a unique approach. You don't really fall into one camp or the other in the birth world. You know, sometimes it's really militant people, like it must be done one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that you can be unbiased. So I'd love to hear kind of how you came to this approach. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> um I actually came to this approach through my own journey when I was pregnant with my son, Emery, and I was what I jokingly say, I was a groovy chick. I figured I wanted to have a natural birth, but I didn't know anything about that. And that seemed remarkable to me that I could be in my early 30s and educated and have all of this information available to me and literally know nothing about birth or the expectations or breastfeeding or any of that. So I... uh, decided in my way to pursue a natural birth. I was stunned that the insurance companies had a say in where I could birth. I started to read. I started to become pretty political and passionate and I think drove my friends and family absolutely bonkers <laughs> with my you know, very, very um, focused intention. Um, I gave birth to Emery, which was truly empowering and challenging and all of the things that birth can be. 
And right after he was born, I decided that I would um, get trained in childbirth education teaching because I felt that I was being very loud <laughs> and I wanted some credentials and I wasn't necessarily looking for a career in birth but I was like I said I was an actress and it wasn't like Broadway was begging me to come back and um, the method that I studied was called the Bradley method and Bradley method is you know absolutely all about natural childbirth and um, I sort of had drank the Kool-Aid you know because that was all I knew um, and, you know, very fortunately, um, about a year later, still interested in birth, still passionate about birth, still trying to figure out what my path was, I stumbled into a doula training. And I met Deborah Pascali Bonaro. And she is, um, if you don't know her, you should. <laughs> Orgasmic Birth, among other things, um, is her um, film and, and book. But Deborah taught uh, a doula training that was really. Um, powerful and thrilling and made me get very, very excited about working in birth. But most, most importantly, um, she helped me open my mind to the, the fact that if you're going to support women in labor, you have to support them unconditionally, that there is no one way to labor. Even if there were, how can you tell people what to do and expect them to do it? It's not even reasonable. <laughs> labor has such a huge wide range of normal. And to try to think that there is one method that's going to work for everyone or try to think that all of us diverse humans and how we cope and how we feel are going to be able to be fit into one style or, or any of it. You know, you can't tell people what to do. You also have to consider that people need to feel safe. We know mm -hmm. just chemically in our body for labor to work. We have to feel safe. And if I feel safe birthing in a hospital or a birth center or at home, I should go where I feel safe. Um, I can't. Um, it would be wrong for me to, first of all, go against my instincts about that. But secondly, um, it certainly would be wrong as a, a teacher, as a labor support person to encourage people to, to do anything other than what feels right for them. Because this is about your body and your choices and your own chemistry. So... Um, so I started attending births and it didn't take long, maybe one or two to recognize that my own birth experience was just that and that everyone was going to experience birth differently and that one method wasn't enough. Honestly, the Bradley method had been very useful to me, but I also remember abandoning it in the middle of transition and thinking, oh, it's not working. <laughs> I need more help. Um, and, and really, Bradley method themselves have been criticized for being didactic and anti-doctor, and they are. And, and, you know, I myself had to stop working with them directly, and that's disappointing because Dr. Bradley's done incredible, incredible things and brought so much good information and I still draw from it but in terms of a method and 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 um an expectation that there's one way to birth or to be in any way anti-doctor is so counterproductive mm -hmm. so you know I if anything swung very hard the other way to say this is not right I work with doctors constantly I love them many many of them I certainly have doctors that philosophically I don't get along with mm -hmm. but you know we got to respect what their role is and what they're taking on so um so I go back to where we started with this question which is how do I how did I get here I really felt and experienced that women needed support and their partners needed support for whatever felt best for them and that we needed as many tools, whether they were emotional tools or physical tools or informational tools as possible to help the most people possible and to help people be confident and excited going into their birth and getting through their birth. So. Yeah, I find something, again, I really credit you for how a lot of my own teaching and birthing philosophy 
I find that at the studio, if I came across militant in one way or the other, mm-hmm. I'm going to turn a lot of people off. Yep. I would say, I don't know, you'd know better than I, maybe 90, 85, 80% of our <laughs> students are yep. going to have pain medication. Yep. And if upon walking in the door, I demonize it, I'm not even going to get them in the door. I'm not even get them to hear. And what I find tends to happen, I'm sure you do in the childbirth ed, because you also have, we have the same students, right. that, <laughs> that when I start to just demystify birth yeah. and take the fear away yeah. and start to offer them tools just through the practice of yoga, and then you go further in the childbirth ed class, they start to actually trust the process and trust their body and say, hey, you know, maybe this is something I consider, even though I never did consider it. Yeah. So if we, from the get-go, had any sort or any sort of ulterior motive, I think we would lose them. And if we were pushing them in one way or the other, I think we would lose them. So again, it's as you always say. You know, I'm not invested in how they have their birth, except that I want them to have made choices from what's authentic for them. And I want them to have the best experience for them, which only they can anticipate and aim for, right? So what is your ideal birth? And for some women, it's going to involve pain management in terms of pharmaceuticals, and some it's going to involve pain management in terms of, you know, unmedicated pain management. Yeah, and And they have to find their path. Like, exactly, kind of the same thing with my birth. It's like, I had my births, as you were there, Um, very much on my own terms. For a long time. But I tend not to disclose that I had home births right. because I don't want them to think I'm judging them for not. Mm-hmm. I also don't want them to judge me for choosing that, right. but I will take, you know, aspects of it and relate it to them. But in general, I don't think it's a great place to teach from my only two experience or your one experience we need to right. be broader. So you really, you did teach me that and, you know, being the middle road and offering information, I think uh, empowers women more mm-hmm. than feeling they have to join one camp or yeah. the other. And you have to assume because 80, 90% of the women walking into hospitals are having epidurals. That is the norm there. You cannot make people less fearful by teaching them to be fearful. You know, like that is <laughs> not, not going to work. So, yeah. you know, it's not only a bad business model, it, it's not <laughs> helping the women that you and I are committed to helping. And You know, I also think, listen, there's a lot to learn about how to use epidurals with awareness, how to also put epidurals on the spectrum, right? Epidural is not the only pain management tool. Mm -hmm. So what I feel like we do when we speak didactically about birth, we take away the spectrum. And the spectrum of pain management needs to include epidurals, but it should also include everything else. So I want to talk about the spectrum of pain management, and I want to talk about the chemistry of labor and all these other things so that women, yes, can find their way. And make good choices with the labor they're given, because you and I both know, you know, we headed into your first labor already to have a great quick birth, you know, know. it absolutely didn't happen (laughs) that way. So how do we, you know, open our minds and our hearts to knowing that this experience is definitely going to find its own way? Um, Yeah, it's its own river. It's its (laughs) own river. We cannot push it. You got to ride the rapids. knows that I tried. But yeah, you, and with my students, I actually feel like, not to make this really about myself, but when we do have obstacles that we experience that for me, from my first birth, I did step back and say, what was my role that it turned so challenging? And from that, I actually felt like I changed some of the way I I taught. And I do feel like sometimes it's the big elephant in the room that we can say, all right, why is this here? (laughs) Who put it here? And how do we have to I don't want to see that. (laughs) You know, and so, you know, even with students that, 
you know, for whatever reason, it hasn't worked out. Like I had a student even just today. It was hard for me, but I kind of had to step back and I learned to do this. She told me she's being induced tomorrow. Mm. Um, she's, I think, 40 weeks and three days. And I mean, we talked about she's been doing acupuncture all week. And I said, did you strip your membranes? Her practice doesn't do that. And she resigned to the fact that it would take her too much energy and confrontation to ask for more time from her care provider. She did, and the care provider said no. Mm-hmm. And she said, I didn't want to push it. And it took me, as a teacher, a lot of experience in letting go on that end. Because there was part mm-hmm. of me that was like, I wanted to be like, no, you have the right to ask. But right. you know, sometimes we have to... And she's acknowledging that she has the right, and she does have the right. Yeah. And at the same time, her but care provider sadness, has the right to there call There was sadness it. there that I she totally just kept saying... It. I just don't want to put my energy into that. So I totally get it. And I think, you know, it's part of what we're about today. And I think, you know, I would say, let's go back to kind of what your spidey sense is with your doctor or your midwife, right? Are you in the right care? And Mm -hmm. I get a lot of people who are like, oh, I love my doctor. They disagree with me on everything (laughs) philosophical about birth, but they're a great person and they're funny and they're kind. Yeah, that happens a little. Right. And so first and foremost, we need to know that the people that are caring for us are on board with our goals for the birth. We're not asking them to put us into clinical danger, of course. But, you know, we can find out a lot. Is somebody wanting to induce you at 40 weeks or let you go to 42? You know, there's a reason. Start with knowing their options, which is where, you know, we all, the foundation is they won't even know what to ask if they haven't taken the time. You won't. I totally agree. And I think that's predominantly would be the case, but I also meet people who don't know anything about their birth who already know they don't like their doctor. And, you know, it sounds really scary to change, but it's much scarier to find yourself backed into a corner in your labor Mm -hmm. or at 40 plus weeks and, and not have options. So, you know, yes, it's a hurdle to make these changes and ask these questions and get this information. But, um, I, I would say, you know, we have instincts for a reason. Yeah. And if you're not confident with your doctor in the office, it is not going to get better on the big day, you know? So Absolutely. You're going to just feel not heard and belittled. And we know that if you're feeling unsafe and judged and pressured, right. the oxytocin is not going to be there and the birth is not going to function. And then, as well. You know, right. in, as function as well. Right. And then other steps are going to come in. So, yeah, I guess. And I said doctor and I really mean doctor or midwife. I mean your care provider. You know, you are comfort with them. And I know that people are in groups and all of that. But if you are already not feeling confident with your practice, that's something that should be honored early on. And then the next step, yes, is education. What are the specific wishes I have for my birth, for myself and for my partner? And how are we talking to our care providers about those, right? So what are some of your suggestions? I actually had I had a big class this morning, so a lot of stories from that. Um, <laughs> a woman, she's 22 weeks. Mm-hmm. She's her second. Great. She was quite traumatized from her first. Mm-hmm. And I just met her a couple weeks ago for her first class. She told me that, I said, okay, so are you going to, ch-? you know, I'm assuming you've changed doctors. Yeah. It's like, no. So she's 22 weeks. I said, you really have about a week here in New York. You know, so after 23 weeks, it's a lot harder. And she's, and I gave her, you know, a lot of the doctors that we really support and she's still on the fence and it's hard, um, not to jump on my, my big soapbox and be like, look at what's in front of you. We know that didn't work the last time. What are you holding on to? And I think, you know, it's a different part of the conversation, but it is very hard as someone who supports birth as we both do to also allow people to 
make the choices they they obviously are committed to making even when we see that they're not supporting themselves well yeah so you know it is always a balance because i really want people to feel supported and confident and yeah. there is a fine line that i'm always looking for which is like hmm, have you considered that you might want to try a different practice but also saying okay if this is where you feel most confident what else are we going to change about the experience and Finding that is something I'm always, as a doula, particularly trying to navigate because you really want to empower people. And at the same time, sometimes they're not feeling empowered and you can't get them there and they need to choose that path and figure it out their way. So, so say they stay, just I'm thinking of this one student, so say she stays with her practice. Yeah. And, you know, I did talk to her about maybe talk to your care provider about what happened last time that didn't feel right. Absolutely. What else do you think someone in that situation should do? Well, I mean, there's so many variables, but, you know, I think she absolutely needs, it would be specific to what she was unhappy about last time, what went wrong last time, and how can the protocols, how can the support, how can the choices be different this time, Mm -hmm. right? So I would definitely want her to have the specifics of why it went the way it did, what she didn't like. Maybe it was just an attitude of a care provider. Maybe it was the nursing care. Maybe it was, you know, who knows? Um, and I think that she, you know, I, I really believe in doulas, obviously, um, having a support person there who is not so emotionally involved as a, a loving partner would be uh, having a, a support person there who knows the hospital system, who can remember the questions, who can remember to advocate differently, to give these people more agency that possibly wasn't there last time and led to the difficulties. But it also could be structural. It could be the way her baby was in her belly. Right. And there's a number of ways to approach it. And it's part of why education and doulas and people that assist and prenatal yoga teachers and all of us who work are there to help fill out the information. What did she not know last time that she needs to know this time? And how is she going to help herself to speak up? And I think if you're having trouble speaking up now, then you're going to know, you know about yourself. You're not going to be speaking up well during the labor, nor do I want mom to be worrying about speaking up during the labor. So either her partner needs to do it or she really needs somebody there. It doesn't have to be a doula. It could be a good friend. It could be her mother, but someone has to have the role of helping her advocate through and having agency so that the, whatever it was that went last time that she didn't like, isn't repeating itself. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. Yeah, that makes me think also about the education people get. Like, so obviously your class is at prenatal yoga center. It's an mm-hmm. out-of-hospital class. Well, 70 seconds. Every yeah. <laughs> <laughs> side. Um, so what do you think about, you know, I obviously agree with classes outside of the right. hospital. Right. What are your thoughts on 
hospital or doctor office right. and then outside of hospitals. Well, that's a, a thing. I say, I really say a lot to a lot everyone I meet, you know, go tour the hospital, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll learn about the hospital, but don't take your classes there because they're going to teach you how to be a good patient. And sometimes you get lucky and you get a teacher who like closes the door and whispers <laughs> to you. But like, is that the environment you want to be learning in? And any, you know, the secret information. Right, exactly. The, certainly the independent classes that I know, and there are many all over the city, mm-hmm. all over the boroughs, we're women that our job is to understand what the system is. You know, we're not just teaching again a random method. We're really, the teachers I know really understand. A lot of them are doulas. We really understand the range of options. We can talk about the range of options and give you really clear questions to go back to your doctor with. The other thing I know that people do is take privates with some nurse that the doctor recommends. And again, you're following we are, into that system. Yeah. And, you know, I get it. And you want the inside track. And okay, you know, but keep in mind you're only getting the inside track. Right. And so, you know, tour the hospital, um, take a class independent of the hospital. That's my recommendation. Because, yeah, again, it goes back to like, how can you make choices if you don't know the options? And if you're only fed one. Right. Line of options, you don't know the whole spectrum. So here's a question: Why would people want to know the options, and why can't they just trust the hospital to take great care of them when they walk in the door? <laughs> right? I mean, because what we're saying is sort of anti-hospital, and I don't want to say, "Oh, the hospital classes are terrible." They're not. No, I just but think that there's certain protocols. There are, and that's what I want to articulate: is that yeah. you know that listen, the hospital has a responsibility to take care of you and your baby. They also have a responsibility to stay, you know, um, economically viable. They also have a responsibility to worry about liability and lawsuits. You know, there are a lot of things at play. They also have a responsibility to just get through all of the patients who are coming through. Um, And very unfortunately, the staff is, is overworked. And so a lot of what happens with these protocols are based on, you know, what makes it easier for the hospital. Um, I'm not saying that's putting you or the baby in danger, but I'm saying it does have profound impacts on your birth experience. So that is why I would suggest taking a class outside the hospital, finding out what wiggle room you have, finding out where to ask questions, and also getting a sense of what that system is and what to expect so that you really can kind of work it to the best of your advantage, you know, give yourself every opportunity. All right, so assuming now mom and partner have found... um, a great class that they feel is giving them evidence-based research. Right. They feel, you know, it's out of the hospital. They're getting the whole picture. They've had some time to digest the information, kind of narrow down some of their ideas. What are your thoughts on birth plans? Because I have, I'm kind of, (laughs) so I have this mixed bag of feelings. Like, I feel like when we put the word birth plan and it's written and women come in holding it, they're like, here's my birth plan. And and it's a little tightly held. Then there's often constriction around it. And birth, as we know, it's it's its own river. Gotta be fluid. Gotta be fluid. Can't hold tight. I personally have started to talk more birth preferences. Definitely. Definitely. And being open to it. So when women, should they decide to kind of sit down and list their things, at what point do you think they talk to their care provider? Well, so the answer to that question is it depends. Are you really confident that they're going to give you the answers they want, or are you deciding if you want to stay with your care provider? Mm -hmm. If you're not confident in your care provider, the sooner you can do it, the better. But, excuse me, in a typical experience with a doctor or midwife, you're going to do that at about 36 weeks because that's what the doctors and midwives Mm -hmm. choose to do to really get more thorough about the birth. Um, and really, if you were to have labor before then, you're going to try goals. to stop it. <laughs> right. We're going to try to stop it. We're going to have very specific monitoring, you know, that's going to be all dictated. So yeah. it makes sense in that respect to it 36 weeks. But some people need to do it sooner. 
just taking a step back, um, how to have a productive meeting with your care provider. You know how busy they are, and you know how quick those appointments are. So you can't walk Except in with, with just... my OB. <laughs> well, you're blessed, and you're a celebrity, so it's different. No, 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 no. <laughs> I will say, and I'm just going to shout this out there. I hope this helps you with mine. My doctor, Dr. Harry Lee, I actually had a midwife for my birth, but he would just sit there. He's the anomaly, he is which the is also anomaly. why his appointments which ran. Which is why it's you wait two hours right. to have an hour long he would. He would just sit there and yes. be like, do you have any other questions? What else do you want to talk about? Right. And I felt, so, I didn't realize at that point that, that, was, not that was not normal because right. I think my friend Claire, who works with Tristan Childbirth, was saying the average um, prenatal appointment is like five to seven minutes. It and is. I'm thinking, how did you even have a, like, how do you even say hello? Right. I mean, they're checking, they're doing all the measuring how are you feeling? Boom out. Yeah. And so, which is, which is wholly the result of our broken healthcare system, but <laughs> that's a whole other topic, <laughs> a whole other topic. But I will say that what I encourage my students and my, my clients to do is to call the office or when you're there, say, I need an appointment where I can discuss my preferences with my care provider. Can I do that at the next appointment or should we make a separate one? So what we do is set the stage for a productive discussion, for I get a good twenty minutes of them knowing they have to give and, me this and time. that way. Also, you can be fully clothed and yeah, see exactly. eye to eye, and you're right. not you know in the gown, right. handing them your urine and like <laughs> saying. I think this that, is my that, that is very idea. helpful. You can bring your partner. You know, you can really, and I think it respects their time, which is what we need to do because mm-hmm. they're incredibly busy too, and I don't think they love being so busy. So that's important. You want to when you consider if you are writing birth preferences you want it to be really simple right we don't need to write on there that you're gonna like have lavender and play (laughs) Enya and bring your birth ball like those are not things that need to be on the birth preferences I want birth preferences one page max and I'm a doula and I won't read more than one page of birth preferences right I want bullet point I don't want I don't want a pisiotomy because studies show blah blah we're not arguing these things we're simply stating our wishes and of course they're always based on if everything is great and normal and that's a problem that comes up with doctors and midwives a lot. Well, I it's feel like, like that's the answer. Well, yes, but we have to see how it goes if this right. year goes. And of course, that's a right. given. Right. But so, if they're not even willing to entertain right. intermittent monitoring and the answer just is, we'll have to see how it goes, then I feel like that's a signal that right. maybe this is not something they're even, even if it's going great, exactly. they're not going to go. So with. I think starting the conversation with, I understand that you're clinically in charge and this is all based on happy, healthy mom and baby. So if that is all true, can I have these things? And what I would say is, if you want to write physical birth preferences, that's great. If you feel your practice is open to it, that's great. I would walk into that meeting with two copies. I'd have them sign both copies. One would be put in my chart. One would come with me. I'd make more copies of my signed (laughs) birth preferences to take to the hospital. Um, if I am not that person who wants to write it down, or if I get the sense it won't be meet, met with, you know, a positive response, verbal verbal okays are perfectly good too. What I'm looking for is when I arrive at the hospital in labor, and there will be strangers helping me, no matter how many uh, how many times I've met my care providers. I'm going to meet strangers in my labor, nurses, you know, residents. That's going to happen. So what I'm looking for is an opportunity when I meet them to say, oh, I talked to Dr. Lee about it. Maybe you could check in with him, right? We can have it written down and signed. Oh, my doctor went over some preferences with me. Maybe you could look at them. But we don't need it written down. If we want to just do verbal, we can do that. Sometimes dad 
sides, I just have them have a cheat sheet, you know, mm-hmm. because they are not turning over birth preferences. But like, it's a lot for him to remember yeah. by himself if it's a him. Um, you know, for the partner who's in charge of remembering these things, sometimes they need a cheat sheet that's now sort of in between verbal and written, right? Um, I just want permission. I just want permission from your practice for anything we're aiming for so that in the moment, whoever we're interacting with, we can be super warm and say, oh, we, <laughs> we already talked to our practice about it and they said we could do this. And the nurse goes, oh, okay, well, I'll check with them instead of, because the nurse might start with, this is what we do here. Right. And you go, oh, well, that's so great. But, you know, we had a conversation, right? Because there will be strangers no matter what. So whatever works for you, written down, not written down, verbal agreements, but keep it precise. Keep it, you know, within the range of what needs to be addressed, right? Yeah. What about first of all, love that with the with the signature because yeah, that does put some ownership. Yeah. And then you can say to the nurse, the one's like, oh, you know, we don't do that here. Oh, okay, I see it's fine. It's just, it gives you a little bit of wiggle room. Yeah. Now, what I also have seen, you know, strangely, the big practices you would think if I was a care provider. I would align myself just kind of like when you back me up as a doula, you know, you and I share similar birth philosophies. So if, um, my client for some reason happened, I think a couple of times I couldn't be there and you stepped in, they weren't, they knew that we were on the same page. So you would think care providers would create their practice in that same line. I don't know why, how they always come into the same practice. But sometimes you have one care provider going to sign off and be like, mm-hmm. yeah, I totally yeah. support that. Yeah. I'm on board. And then within the same practice, because they rotate, you can have someone that's been like, that's just not, I don't believe that. That's not how I practice. What do you do in those situations? Well, it's tricky. I mean, hopefully you know ahead of time and you are choosing to stay with them or not, right? Yeah. Um, but I have had that, you know, in the middle of a labor. Oh, your partner said we could do intermittent monitoring. So, you know, we expected that. Okay, I know they say that, but I don't do that. And you're like, mm, mm-hmm. wow, that sucks. Mm-hmm. What do we do? We roll with it and make yeah. the best of it that yeah. we possibly can. And we check in with the nurse and see if she's a little squiggly or what she could get away with us. But, you know, like you, well, the you know, but the reality like, is, is way. some of the, the nurses, nurses are going to be too. like, sure, I'm here. Wink, wink. Yeah. Have a bite to eat. We're all good. Yeah. Take Absolutely. the monitor off, go to the bathroom and quotes meaning for like 20, 30 minutes. Right. And then some are like, Really stressed. Really stressed. So there also, if you were someone who was aiming for an unmedicated birth, which we know is sort of unconventional in a typical hospital environment, if you're aiming for unmedicated, one of the things you want to do is tell them when you're calling to say, hey, I'm coming to the hospital, when you're in triage being evaluated, mention that these are your goals. So hopefully there's a good chance that you'll get a nurse who's supportive of that. Because really, a nurse that wants to deal with you know, woman and her birth ball and her shower and all of that. We want that nurse and she wants to be with you. Yes, she and the does. Nurses because she that wants want to support you, that. Right. And the nurses that wish you would just get in the bed and stay there and shut up, they don't want you. So the more we can be out there with our preferences in a very positive way. We're so excited to be here. We love this hospital. We have so much faith in you. Um, and this is what we're doing. And I think the partner can do a great job with that and really say, my wife, you know, take take the nurse aside. Take the uh, the the resident aside my my wife she's been working so hard and I'm so proud of her and I love her so much and I just really need you to help me with this right when we make ourselves vulnerable as you know the doula the partner the mother-in-law whoever we get more you know yeah, so well, a lot of this can't is, show up quickly <laughs> you don't want to show up and prickly. I've seen and I guess this is going to be a whole other podcast but I've seen or heard from doulas 
that came in almost like I am here to protect the woman with yes, they in do a us sense, all harm. they do. In a sense, of course, your partner, your doula, your posse is there to help create the birth space. Protecting the space but is that's different, different than protecting the woman. You right. Know? Yeah. But, I mean, you've heard the stories. I've of heard course. the stories. Of course. And it, one, it creates distaste for doulas, which Rightfully hurts the so. whole profession. Yeah, absolutely. And two, I think it's not safe. It's not. But, no, it's totally not safe right. because they don't have that medical training. Right. Um, and if they did, they're still not. The woman didn't put her trust in there. Right. But I do think sometimes the nurses... Some nurses do kind of roll their eyes like, oh, she has a birth plan, she has a doula. Some do. And, and but some they're going to also what? They're going to Yeah, exactly. Because I said it's less work on their side. Right. And I, I honestly think I get better response than not. I, another thing, just while we're on it, for people that have a very complicated history, um, for instance, my clients who've had a lot of miscarriages, for instance, a lot of uh, fertility treatments or a lot of surgeries, a lot of allergies, any kind of heavy-duty clinical history especially when it's an emotional one, right? Yeah. Attached to these past losses. Um, you're going to be asked to repeat your history a number of times. So I have, in those cases, I have written this out, whether it's to hand to the nurse or the resident or the uh, uh, anesthesiologist, so that we don't have to, in front of this beautiful Bring it mom, yeah. talk about her history, which is a painful one. Um, if she wants to talk about it, it's going to come in. That's great. I'm all that for could be her. her yes. Yeah. But to literally have to either hear her partner talk it through or talk it through and answer those questions herself can be really detrimental to what we're talking about. Safety, warmth, nurturing, oxytocin. The, the chemistry we want, <laughs> oxytocin, which I don't think we've talked about, but um, that's, we're talking more technical things. So um, that can be a case where it's not a birth plan, but it's literally like, here are my allergies. Here's how I react to them. Here are my surgeries. Here are the dates. And it can make it easier because guess what? The partner doesn't want to be spending a half hour talking that through either. He wants to focus on laboring. Right. Mind at that point. The laboring woman should not, and the partner should be taking care of the laboring woman. So again, you know, trying to streamline where we can. So That's where it. are we? <laughs> where are we in our question? <laughs> That's quite a bit to think about. Mm-hmm. All right. So let me just get back to where I was. Right, so oh. she had her 36-week checkup. Uh, not check up um, appointments. Right. She's discussed things. All right. So talk a little bit about your ideas of what kind of wiggle room the mom can find when she gets to the hospital if someone's just not agreeing. Right. And again, I think I really am going to put it on the partner, right? I really want mom to be responsible for labor. That's more than enough. The more we pull her out and she thinks she has to protect herself and deal with these questions, the more it's going to interfere with the hormones of labor. So... I'm really putting this on the partner. Um, it's a lot on the partner. It is a lot on the partner, which is why people hire I doulas, do you know. <laughs> and unfortunately, nurses really did used to fill this in. Nurses were really present when our mothers were giving birth, and a lot of times they didn't have their partners. But um, nurses were really hands-on, and present nurses are incredibly, as you well know, stretched very thin, mm-hmm. and they're just not able to. And when they're in the room with you, they have to be on the computer charting. Yeah. So we really are counting on somebody that we bring along to help to help advocate. So I would say we could go through all the specifics, and that's part of what class teaches you. But the overriding thing that I teach people so they don't feel like I have to remember a million things is my three questions, which are, is mom okay? Is baby okay? May I have more time? 
right? And first labors tend to take a lot longer than, Mm -hmm. let's face it, anyone wants them to take, not just laboring women, but hospitals as well. The longer you're in there not having a lot of procedures happening, the more money you're costing the hospital. So they are invested in moving it along. And a lot of times they just get impatient. You know, just very recently, they changed the protocols for what's considered active labor and how quickly you're supposed to be dilating and what the time frame is and how do you stay on the curve. And they changed it drastically, you know, from four to six centimeters. Huge, huge change. Meanwhile, you and I have been with women for years who were told you're not dilating fast enough. There's something wrong with you. And for a Did woman that, to hear that. The study that came ah. out about women on epidurals that you actually, they do see it being a longer labor. What a sigh of relief so that they're like, okay, we're recognizing what we've already experienced, right. but it had to come out in a journal. It had to come out with right. study after study right. Right. instead of actually looking at the women in front of them and right. saying, so obvious. They're like, so obvious. <laughs> That's another reason. You know, when people freak, get worried about, I'm worried if I get an epidural, my labor will get longer. Okay, I understand that, but the point of the epidural is to make you comfortable. So if the labor does become longer based on the epidural, that's not a problem, right? I mean, you get an epidural because you need an epidural. You need pain management, Mm -hmm. and the stuff that you're doing for your own pain management isn't cutting it. So I don't really like those decisions to be based on that, although, again, whatever is right for you in the moment, you do. But I really think the three questions cover it, and I can't tell you how often that's helped. You know, is the mom okay? Yes. Is the baby okay? Yes. Well, so what's going on? What's the danger of doing nothing? Can we just have time? Hey, can we, you know, (laughs) you know that I am tricky. Like, can we have a little time to pray about it? You know, that literally clears the room and gives you some space, right? Um, Just time to think about it. Can we have some time? Is great. I've actually had residents go away and not come back for an hour. And that was the hour they get caught up in something else. They get caught up. Or they'll come in and say, you have to have Pitocin. And we'd say, can we have time to think about it? And then they change their mind. You know, (laughs) literally like, she didn't really want it. We'll leave it. You know, it is amazing how much just asking for space helps. So when you're feeling deer in the headlight, guys, I would say, is the mom okay? Yes. Is the baby okay? Yes. And here's the other thing. If they are talking to you, there's no emergency, right? Exactly. You know this. If there's an emergency, they're they are not jumping, jumping all over the laboring woman. They're giving commands. They're not answering your questions. So if you are having a conversation with anyone on the staff, there's no emergency. I promise you, they will be all over you. So anything that comes in and is talked about, um, is gives you room to just say, I live hey, by a little questions. more a little more space. Can we have some time? My wife, oh, I'm not sure. And it lets you kind of get clear. What are these questions I want to ask? And it may be as simple as what's the danger of doing nothing? Can we just have more time? And I find those questions, not only did I use them as practicing as a doula, but I inspire my students to use them all the time. Because when they hear that, they realize, not that we're ever trying to make anyone look foolish, but it really shines a light on protocol versus yeah, the right. one, you know the difference really between um, the pathology of medical approach as to midwifery approach. Right. You know, so if mom and baby are okay, we're looking individually. If you say you can't have more time, the question is, well, why? Right. And then, so right. I when I was participating as a doula, it really kind of stopped things. We're like. Oh, I guess you can have more time. Right. Even though they may have wanted, they don't have a medical reason to right. push it. Right. And then, I mean, I've never seen someone say, you're right, you and your baby are okay, but, you know, I have to, my, my shift is ending right. or right. I want to go to bed. You know, right. like, or so it's that, just you've been here a long time and we're yeah. tired of, of And you. they look <laughs> foolish. So, so I, can I what's tell, the downside? Can I tell the story about the biggest baby I ever watched be born? And this okay. baby was born vaginally. This baby 
Little love, chunk of love, 11 pounds, two ounces. That is a big baby. From a five foot two mother who is Korean, right? Very petite mom, huge baby. And we had a very long, slow labor. And the dad was like a master of every time the doctor came in the room, there would be a tiny bit of change. You know, she would check her every like three hours, tiny bit of change in the cervix, but way off the expectation of curve of labor. So methodical. And the doctor would just take the doctor, uh, the husband would take the doctor out of the room. Mom's okay, right? Baby's okay. Can we have more time? And the doctor will go, yeah, I guess so. And after this gorgeously gigantic baby was born perfectly and vaginally, you know, the doctor was stunned. We were all stunned. And the doctor was like, like, oh, my God. Coming yeah, out. <laughs> exactly. Three, four months old. You know, um, had she known, she would have had to section her. And she commented to me. She said, you know, the husband just kept asking me for more time. And I really didn't have a reason not to give it to him. And fortunately, this and was long enough ago that she hadn't been, you know, um, sonogrammed a million times and they told her the baby was huge. But How many years ago was this? Oh, uh, it was way back. It could have be like 10 or 12 years ago. I had a similar, it's the second or third birth as a brand new doula. So I was still even getting my mm-hmm. certification. It was one of my, you know, the three you need. Right. Oh my and gosh. I know it was a long time ago, 100 births later. Um, my client was second baby laboring beautifully and kind of a all four upright position and a resident comes in mm. and says, no, you need to get on your back. Right. And she, she begged, I'm not going to say the doctor's name, but she begged that doctor, please. Can I push like this? This I pushed my first one out. Please. Can I push like this? And the doctor said, no. Right. And said, I'm not going to deliver you. First of all, is she delivering or just guiding? You know, of course, um, until you're on your back and, you know, I, I was asking the doctor, saying, like, she's doing so well. That's so new, so green. Of course. You know, she's doing great. And and my client, Andrea, I'm like, do you want to push a little? And she's, you know, just kind of encouraging that. And finally, after other residents came in, it became a to-do. Mm-hmm. And my the mom flipped on her back, 10-pound, 2-ounce baby, <laughs> pushed out, though, in, like, five or six minutes yeah. out of spite and anger, yeah. tore... And I just think, I mean, again, shorter woman like myself, if she had been given a little bit of space and love and support, she obviously had a vaginal birth, but it didn't have to be with such anger around it. And that's what's so, kind of upsetting. So, you know, it is upsetting, and it's especially upsetting to see a laboring woman totally in her power and be asked to accommodate the hospital. Flip side of that, because we started out oh, talking she, how balanced I am, and I want to have said this story because I think it's extremely important to this The doctor issue. may not have known how to deliver that. Which one. is, I had a doctor I worked with a ton, and I won't say her name because this is getting recorded. But she was fantastic, and I loved her. And I, we helped a, a client have her first baby, and it was a totally unmedicated, all-natural affair. Second labor, we're all together again. It's great. I work with this doctor a lot. This mother has a good track record. She's on her hands and knees. She's eight centimeters. She's going to deliver in 10 minutes. You know, it's a second baby coming very fast. And I look at the doctor and I say, can we please, this was at Cornell Hospital. So, you know, it was, you know, it wasn't the birth center environment. Can we deliver on hands and knees? And the doctor goes, yeah, sure. And I was like, great. And I'm attending to my client. Doctor then pulls me over out of the room and says, um, I've never delivered hands and knees before. And I was like, oh, can we please still do it? And she said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But she's like, Terry, I'm really trying to figure it out. It's upside down to everything I've been taught. And that's where I think. a doctor who's done a thousand plus births. Right. right? So the story with me, she, she was a pass. resident. Right. And well, she definitely. She really didn't. And so that, in retrospect, safe. 
I understand. She was we, a resident. And that's she wasn't my point. If you're choosing that. to birth in the hospital, there will be compromises, and it is only reasonable. So if you want a birth where you have total freedom, you're going to have to find a very so, special care know. provider. Did she figure it out? Did she did she? it. Now, why? So, yes, they're just catching. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is what if the cord is tight around the neck? What if the shoulders are tight? They do have protocols that they do, and they are not going to feel confident. And I've seen that happen. And I've been in, you know, the envir- the situation you're in as an early doula, I've been in as an experienced doula. And sometimes we get what we want, and sometimes we don't. Yeah. So, you know, some of this is going to be compromised. And Part of what I teach when I teach is, like, can we push in any position? Can we deliver in any position? And most doctors and a lot of midwives will still insist that a mom actually deliver on her back with her legs up. And it's because it's what they know. Yeah, I would say I know maybe a dozen, if that, that will say as long as I have some view. Right, right. If a dozen, maybe actually maybe half dozen, right. that will do that. Yeah, you can push, you can push however you want. When it's right. time when to actually crowning. crowning, I need what I know. And so I want my clients to know that ahead of time. I want them to be yes, prepared so for at the last minute. We're going to have to put you on your back with your legs up because that's the deal we make with these people who we've asked to be in charge of our well-being and right. in charge of our baby's well-being. They aren't, this is not a small task that they have. Right. Yes, labor works the vast majority of the times perfectly and we have perfect babies and perfect moms in the vast majority of cases, but they're also responsible for when there's complications. And that's why so, we're there and that's why they chose to be there. That's I why you choose to be there. Sometimes I have had people that say you have to be on your back and doing back just go into the side mm-hmm. they can get they can try to cheat their way to their side which yeah. is we believe you know i firmly well, Lamaze, believe lamaze's study on that what protects our perineum what minimizes on our tearing delivering on your side and, and I it's think more it's a great spacious compromise. because yeah. and you can do a side birth with an epidural because right. when you're on your back the sacrum's pushing into the birth canal yep. decreasing space yep. and just simply rotate in the pelvis and you're not dramatically changing no. the view for the, for the care doctor, provider for the and you're birth. giving the sacrum some space to move back and the yeah. tailbone's in space, and that create, creates a lot easier. I, I think I actually don't remember, but I'm pretty sure I delivered Sage on that. Oh my god! Yeah, don't ask me to remember. <laughs> oh, sure, that's what we did. I'm pretty sure. Well, let's just say we did every position imaginable. Oh shame! Oh shame! Yeah, I believe she, it was. Uh, that's right. It was side. Actually. And I do believe that creates more space than on the back. Oh, and that's and, and the that, studies hold that out. The studies hold that out. And for those that have care providers that say you can push in any position, but when it's time to crown, you have to be on your back and. Just even giving that you know 90 degree switch to the side a lot of care providers will go with that right. some will say no but i'd say the majority at least will honor that right. where they may not honor a complete no right. but i also think that the majority of care providers if you didn't ask would have you push the whole time on your back True. and we know that that is going to make it harder for you to have a normal vaginal birth so you know, that ability to, even if we have to be where we are to deliver, that ability to change position on your way to crowning may be the difference between a C-section or not. Yeah, so well, fit, changing position and, you know, the what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over <laughs> and over and expecting a different outcome. If you're pushing on your back and the baby is not descending, you need to push in other positions. And, you know, I have so many examples of that. And, yes, they ended up delivering on their back, but we got the baby down because of all those changes. And sometimes just a few on one side and a few on the other that worked. Mm -hmm. This past year I had, you know, a very 
formal doctor. I didn't know her. I was very, very careful in that room. And I finally just said, can we please just try a few on the side maybe? (laughs) And I could see the doctor getting frustrated that the baby wasn't coming down. It was a second baby. We expected a quick descent. We did three on the right side, three on the left side, back, and the baby had moved down. And it was a tiny change. So so what we're talking about, yes, delivering on your back sometimes, but getting the baby down and having a vaginal birth. Well, because it's a corkscrew situation. They're fine in a way. It's not just like a water slide. They're they're finding their (laughs) At least not the first one. (laughs) You know, they're negotiating your space. Oh, my gosh. Such amazing, amazing information. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, last thing is do you have any tips and advice before we go to some after that you haven't covered i feel like we've gotten quite a bit like we've got the three questions is mom okay is baby okay can we have more time um you know we talked about just switching positions asking your care provider you know i can push one way but can i actually deliver this way so i feel like we've gotten yeah a lot covered is there anything else before you want to talk about the after not off the top of my head because we have definitely touched on a lot of points um i do and i'm looking at my list of things that i was hoping to talk about and i and i feel that we have well as one of my close friends and also living so close i foresee other podcasts together Uh (laughs) i'm gonna rope you into some more that's fine so let's i know you want to talk a little bit about the after so let's talk a little about that because no matter what the birth right we want to protect that time uh when the baby is Born, and we want to protect what we call the golden hour. We want to facilitate optimal breastfeeding options, right? So um, let's first talk about ideally, um, which would be a, a normal vaginal birth, medicated or unmedicated, it doesn't matter. But a normal vaginal birth, baby should come directly skin to skin, right? Um, it's very normal at a hospital that they're going to only give you a few minutes with your baby yeah, and then be in a me. rush to do the protocols, which include eye ointment, vitamin K, foot printing, you know, all kinds of weighing. Um, their nurses will be in a rush to do that. And again, in the nurse's defense, they got a lot to do. They have another patient waiting on them. Yeah. But it is absolutely, unquestionably not the best thing for you and the baby. The best place for baby is skin to skin with any living human, preferably mom. But if mom isn't available, partner, any human that's warmed up and, and put a blanket over the baby, first and foremost, they need to process the adrenaline out of their bodies that they get infused with on their way out and they need to... And then when they're on mom, you know, they need the opportunity to go through the breast crawl, do the physiologic steps that get them there. And that can be something that takes a lot of time. So again, we both go back to hat. Can we have more time? So you have a lot of well-meaning nurses that are going to jump in. Hey, let's get that baby on the breast. And they're going to be either taking the baby to do procedures it doesn't need and interfering. Burrito and Or, yeah, and you get back what I call the baby burrito, <laughs> swaddled baby, and they stuff that baby on the nipple. Or they're just trying to help. And we don't want to rush a baby onto the nipple. We want the baby to take its time. And, of course, you can watch beautiful, weepy uh, breast crawl videos and learn about this. But um, just know that... You can have a full hour legally of time where the baby is just on you if everything is perfect with the baby. And what you can say is, oh, my friend was here last month and nobody bothered her or the baby for a whole hour. And you can say that because I guarantee you. Someone was there. Someone was there doing that even that day, right? Yes, it isn't the norm, but plenty of people are asking for this time and you will not be the first. The other thing that happens is, again, in patient nursing care is, well, okay, you want the baby on you? I'll just do the procedures on you. So now we're getting our baby to have a shot in their thigh goop in their eyes you know their feet messed with while we're trying to go through they just came out of this they just came out dark wet place yeah and all of a sudden 
you know, they're shoved into a needle and eye ointment and things. So you'll learn more about that in class, but I want to just say that is a crucial time to advocate for, and no matter what the birth has been advocating for that. The flip side is if there needs to be separation for any reason, whether there's been a cesarean birth, whether there's been a complication with the vaginal birth, all the more reason when you get your baby back to be skin to skin and hang out. Here's the mistake that people make. They think, oh my gosh, it's been an hour. Baby must be starving. Babies aren't hungry for two full days at a minimum. They have a good Baby stalking. needs to yeah. relax and instinctual wisdom needs to be triggered, especially when there's been separation. And they did studies where unfortunately babies were separated. And it, even up to 24 hours later, as long as when that baby finally got skin to skin with mom between the breasts, they knew what to do. So it may take two hours for the baby to recover and be interested in breastfeeding. Be patient. More skin to skin, the better. The more separation, the more patience you need. There is no rush to breastfeed. There's only skin to skin, quiet, turn off the flash, hang out. Partner should have their head on mom's shoulder because the baby can see from breast to face. You know, talk softly to them and let them have little naps and let them play with breastfeeding and then take a break. Let them suck their hands. Don't pull their hands out of the way. Again, well-meaning nurses, no, don't suck your hand, babe. They're literally going through their instinctual steps to breastfeed perfectly. So In their minutes, hours the space create the space and we're already having expectations and can you imagine you're in this quiet like you were one of mom dark wet place certainly not quiet actually in there but dark wet it's not not quiet (laughs) right but dark wet place all of a sudden you're out and now someone's shoving a a nipple in your mouth i know after (laughs) doing other things so then moving out of the labor and delivery room or um you know if you've been in recovery from a c-section you're moving to the postpartum floor and again, the hospitals have a need because of universal precautions um, for infection to bathe babies right away, even though more and more science is proving that this is yeah, not, not only necessary. detrimental to their guts, um, but to, to, it literally interferes with all the stuff they're supposed to absorb. And again, instinctual wisdom for breastfeeding. Remember, amniotic fluid smells and tastes like early breast mm-hmm. milk colostrum, right? So we can delay the bath. Here's my other trick. It's cultural. We're going to delay the bath. That works really well. It's like, can we have time to pray about it? It's cultural. All these things are sneaky, but they work because people respect those expectations usually. Um, so it's cultural. We're going to delay the bath. We're going to keep the baby with yeah, us don't say, all the oh, time. Oh, I heard this in my childbirth ed classes. Yeah. So I want to Far do less it. effective. Yeah. <laughs> I heard a podcast. I'm sure. <laughs> it's a fantastic podcast. But, uh, yeah. Uh, my friend was here last month. The baby never left her side. Like you do not have to put your baby in the nursery if you don't want to. Conversely, we have a messed up system here where women are not allowed to keep their partners if they're in a semi-private room and they may be alone and they may have been up for two days and you can absolutely send your baby to the nursery and you can choose to do it for two hours, for instance. It's not all or nothing. I'm so tired. What do I do? Send the baby for two hours, take a nap, get yourself together and then see where it goes. If you were someone who wanted your baby with you, you know, use the system the way it works for you. Um, And then finally, postpartum care, my experience at all the hospitals is it's very hit or miss. Mm -hmm. So trust your instincts, you know, then they're going to be people contradicting each other. And that's really frustrating. Um, So try to trust your instincts as a parent and or have resources that you know you trust and reach out to them. Because just because people are working in a hospital doesn't mean they have the best advice at every moment but you will you will meet people who will be amazing and you want to grab everything you can from those nurses and and doctors and midwives um and you will meet people who will not make any sense to you and again i go back to kind of your instincts and your spidey sense like 
Does this make sense? <laughs> and what's no. nice is a lot of the hospitals do have lactation consultants. Yeah, they do. I've seen some, some are really great good. L&D <laughs> nurses that yep. you know I don't that really knew about breastfeeding, and yep. others that I was like totally going against everything I was taught. Yeah. Um, and I think the same in postpartum. Yeah. And I think for the mom out there, if breastfeeding is something that you do want, and you're having any trouble, and you leave the hospital still feeling vulnerable with your breastfeeding, yeah. reach out to a lactation consultant as yeah. well, Leche Leagues, yeah. um, Prenatal Yoga Center, if you happen to be in the New York area. We've got support Freshman groups, classes, but those, yep. you know, all around the country, all around the world, there's La Leche League. And, sure. right. you know, so if this is something that you want, don't give up on it just because you went home and you're feeling confused. Right. There, there are resources yeah. out there. And the sooner you address it, the more likelihood of success. So don't suffer uh, too long. People really believe breastfeeding is going to be so hard and they let themselves have a lot more problem than they should. Um, so you gave some amazing tips on how to navigate the <laughs> hospital system because sadly it is a system to learn how to navigate. Yeah. You know, I, I think that, you know, even if you have the best intention, just kind of presenting yourself and say, take the best care, you know, you're going to kind of be a cog in the wheel. So, you know, educate yourself, mm-hmm. make sure you're with the right care provider, know your options. And I love those three questions. Is mom okay? Is baby okay? May we please have more time? Stick those in your back pocket because those are going to come in very useful. So I want to thank Terry for being here. Well, I'm actually here. I'm at her house. So <laughs> we <laughs> are. Be my guest. Um, it has really been an honor and a pleasure to have you as part of the center, have you as my doula. And as my mentor, I can't tell you how many times. My pleasure. I know. And coming, you know, having you as my backup and as a doula and, and having a chance to learn, it was, um, it's been wonderful. So is there um, any place that I know? you have your website is there anything else that you want people to be able to reach you by or is the website the best way i think laborlove.org that's how to find me specifically you can find me through the yoga center prenatal yoga center of course yeah. as well because i'm teaching there and uh yeah i Her want people, people i want people them. to have some room to be excited <laughs> about because it's births. exciting i want some room for excitement and i want you to block out negative stories from people that they tell you and i want you to aim towards um a happy day so you know, that is or two days. Or two days. A very happy two days. So I wanted to thank you guys for listening. Um, If you enjoyed this, please go to iTunes and give us a great rating. That's going to help other people find us. So this has been Yoga Birth Babies, Deb Flaschenberg. That's me. And thank you for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Namaste. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.